Welcome to They Didn't Teach Us That in Seminary, the Broadmoor Baptist Church of Baton Rouge podcast.
Good morning, y'all. It is a privilege and a pleasure to fill this pulpit again. If you're new to Broadmoor, or if you're watching online for the first time, uh, my name is Dave Oakley, and I'm the Minister of Youth and Children here at Broadmoor. And Dr. Ezell, our, our senior pastor, has allowed me to fill the pulpit this morning for our senior recognition service. And I thought it would be fun if I, if I wore my robe in honor of the seniors, but now that I'm standing here under these lights, it's seeming they can sympathize. All right, I, as we get started with the sermon, I'm not going to say uh, much to or about our seniors just because we try to make much of Jesus in this time. But before we get started, I just want to know that, y'all, we are incredibly proud of you. Uh, we've watched y'all grow up in a way that y'all don't uh, fully understand. We've cared about you and cared for you for a really long time. And we, we believe in you and we believe that God has big plans for you. Uh, so please know that you are loved dearly by the people of this place. Y'all pray with me. Uh, gracious God, what we know not, please teach us. What we have not, please give us. What we are not, please make us. For Christ's sake we pray. Amen. Uh, this past week, as I was trying to zero in on my text for this Sunday, I tried to remember my own high school graduation. Uh, what wisdom was offered to me? What words of hope and grace were spoken into my, into my life? Now, I was surrounded by people who loved me and cared for me, uh, people who shared incredible insights and offered invaluable wisdom. But the truth is, my high school graduation was a long time ago, and I just don't remember much of what was said to me anymore. But I, I do remember this. During my first year at Oklahoma Baptist University, I began receiving a slips of yellow paper in my campus mailbox. For weeks, when I went to the, po the campus post office to retrieve my mail, there were these little slips of yellow paper. Now, I have no idea who's sending them to me, but on each one was written an encouragement. Uh, they said things like, if, if God brings you to it, he'll bring you through it. One note quoted 1 Timothy 4.12. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in speech and conduct and love and faith and in purity. One of the notes quoted Romans 8.38 and 39, which Lauren read for us earlier. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that was a simple thing that someone did for me, those notes of encouragement. But I really appreciated them. And that last text, that one from Romans, that one made a difference for me. It was a simple reminder that nothing could separate me from the love of God. And that is exactly what I needed to hear. And that's what I'd like to share with you this morning. So the book of Romans has had a wide influence in the life of the church. Augustine, a 5th century theologian, was converted to Christianity at the age of 32 by just accidentally reading Romans 13. Martin Luther became convinced of the gospel of grace while reading the book of Romans and after that moment went down a path uh, that would lead to the reformation of the church. John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, the hero of our friends down the street, 
He was converted while listening to someone else read Martin Luther's preface to the Book of Romans. So many of our heroes and heroines of the church were deeply influenced and impacted by the Book of Romans. So this book has made a difference for me. It's made a difference in the life of the church. And, and I really hope that this text makes a difference for you this morning. So according to, to tradition, the Apostle Paul wrote 13 of our 27 books of the New Testament. But truth be told, Paul didn't write books. He wrote letters. Paul wrote letters to churches all over the Roman Empire. And he primarily wrote letters to address issues in the churches, issues that they were facing. Sometimes he addressed theological issues, and sometimes they were ethical issues. And sometimes he just wrote to heal broken relationships within the churches. Now these aren't the only letters he ever composed, but they're the ones that made the cut, the ones that made it into the book. The letter to the Roman churches was written in the year 57, just a few decades, a couple of decades after the resurrection of Jesus. And it was written to the churches in Rome while Nero was emperor, the, the same Nero who would burn down the city just a few years later and blame it on the Christians, leading to a mass execution of the people. It was a tenuous time for the church of Rome. Rome was a city of a million people at the time. It was the largest city in the empire. It was the largest city in the world. It was the seat of the Roman Empire, the home of the emperor. The people of, the, of Rome were packed into a, an incredibly small space. So most of them lived in slums. And many of them lived in, in a tiny apartment buildings. There was not a single meeting place for the Church of Rome. There was no First Baptist Church of Rome. The churches in Rome were actually small groups were scattered across this, this, this jam-packed city, meeting in people's apartments. And these churches were divided into factions, at least three, divided along theological views. So Paul wrote them this letter, in part to help bring a belief and unity to belief to these churches in Rome. So Paul's letter to the Romans is his clearest most detailed and most systematic account of the Christian faith. That's why it's his longest letter. It's his hope in writing the letter that he can clearly explain the gospel to these Christians and heal theological divisions that keep them from being one unified church in the capital of the empire. That, that divisions that keep them from becoming a group of people that can stand in the shadow of the emperor and declare that Jesus is king. In the first three chapters, Paul discusses sin and the brokenness of humanity. In chapters 4 and 5, he discusses salvation. In chapters 6 to 8, he details sanctification, the process of becoming like Christ. Later in the letter, he deals with God's sovereignty and the importance of Christian service. But our text this morning is found at the end of chapter 8. And it's intended to summarize everything that comes before it. Sin, salvation, and sanctification. Paul does this by asking four rhetorical questions. Who can be against us? Who can bring a charge against those, those who, who God has chosen? Who can condemn us? Who can separate us from the love of God? I like to think of, of chapter 8 of Romans as like the who that section of the book. And you know, any real saints fan is familiar with the Hudat chant. And I, seriously, I just looked this up. 
It became the official cheer of the New Orleans Saints in 1983 when I was two years old. The chant had become so popular among Saints fans that the organization officially adopted it, and Aaron Neville, you know, mole and all, recorded a version of When the Saints Go Marching In that featured five ch uh, Saints players chanting, who'd that say they're going to beat them Saints? And well, for a long time, pretty much everybody. <laughs> Go Cowboys. I was going to rewrite this section of Romans to sound like who dat, but y'all, it's not that brave. So when Paul asks these four questions, he imagines a courtroom setting where God is sitting behind the bench as judge. And Paul asks, if God is for the saints, then who can be against us? The answer, no one. Paul asks, if God is for the saints, then who can bring a charge against us? The answer, Nobody. God has already declared you not guilty, spared you from the penalty of your sin. Paul asks, if God is for the saints, then who can condemn us? Who can convict us and prescribe a sentence? The answer, no one, because Jesus is our lawyer. Paul asks, if God is for the saints, then what can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord? The answer, nothing. If you are a Christian, then God is for you. If you are a Christian, then nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing. Not one thing. No trouble or hardship. No persecution or famine or danger. Neither life nor death nor angels, nor demons, neither the present or the future, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation. There is no circumstance that can separate you from the love of God. You have been redeemed. Your past isn't enough to separate you from the love of God. Those things that keep you up at night that eat at your soul. The things you wish you wouldn't have said to the people you were supposed to have loved. Those things you know you shouldn't have done. The relationships you've broken. Your addictions. The lies you've told. The tests you've cheated on. Whatever it is that lurks in your past, if you have repented and given yourself to Jesus, then you have been redeemed. And none of these things can separate you from the love of God. And your past victories cannot separate you from the love of God. Now, we are fortunate enough to be a solidly middle-class congregation. We are educated. We are professionals. We've racked up accolades and awards. Our whole lives we've been able to take care of others and our children and ourselves. We haven't needed to rely on anyone and some of us have grown so accustomed to taking care of ourselves that we don't remember what it's like to rely on grace. To lean into the love that sustains us. And folks, your victories are amazing. And you are amazing. You are awesome. But God is awesome-er. So even if you've forgotten how desperately you need it, please hear now that no height 
can separate you from the love of God that carries you and keeps you and sustains you. Your present circumstances are not enough to separate you from the love of God. Paul tells us that no trouble can separate us from the love of God, no hardship or danger. And as I look at the faces in this room, I see a whole bunch of folks who are dealing with different circumstances. The circumstances of right now. Many of you are thriving, and that's great. But some of us are mired in grief at the loss of someone that we loved dearly. Some of us are beaten up by our anxieties as we try to figure out our next steps. And if we're honest, some of us feel like God has abandoned us. We feel like God is so far away and we wonder what's going on. And you aren't alone. It's a feeling that we've all experienced. And if you haven't yet, you will soon. So please know this. God hasn't gone anywhere. There is nothing in your present circumstances, nothing, that could separate you from the love of God. The one who made all things loves you dearly. So lean into love. And if it's too hard, then let us help you. My friends, your future is not enough to separate you from the love of God. Paul tells us that there is no circumstance, past, present, or future, that can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Now, this isn't a Pauline permission to do whatever you want without consequence. Later in this letter, Paul rails against uh, the idea that Christians can do whatever they want and live however they want, behave however they want, just because God has already forgiven them. Paul would say that the person who lives this way has missed the point. We've been called to live sacrificial lives. We've been called to live lives that reflect the glory of God. We've been called to live uh, as people of grace and hope who are continually being formed into the image of Christ. What this text does guarantee you is that there is nothing you can do to make God love you any less than he already does. God adores you. And you, when you mess up in the future, which we all will, God is faithful to love us and to extend grace with, to us without fail. So seniors, the next four years are full of promise and they're full of heartache. If you're like the rest of us in this room that have already traveled the road that you're about to walk down, then sometime in the next four years, or five, or six, you're going to mess up big time at least once. Your heart is going to be broken at least once. You might not make the grades that you or your parents hoped for. You'll make some decisions that you're super proud of and some that you wish you hadn't. And we might not even see some of you for a while. And that's okay. Because whatever happens over the next bit of time, please know that the wonder of grace is this. There is nothing that can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The love of God accompanies us to every mountaintop and to every valley. It accompanies every victory 
and every failure. When God feels like he's close or he's far away, the love of God is always with us. So friends, each and every one of you are loved, loved generously, and loved recklessly by the God of the universe, the maker of all things. So may we all, whatever our age or our circumstance, begin to lean into the love of God who is faithful to redeem us and to sustain us. Y'all pray with me. God, we are thankful for a love beyond all measure, a love beyond all reason, a love that doesn't make sense. God, we are thankful for the wonder of grace that no matter the circumstances, no matter what happens, there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to They Didn't Teach Us That in Seminary, the Baltimore Baptist Church of Baton Rouge podcast. Please like, review, and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube. If you have any questions, please submit them through the Anchor app. Or join us on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. right in our own Broadmoor Baptist Church in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Otherwise, I hope you have a good week.